Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. It's Brandon Meyer, first <laughs> Tuesdays. Thank you for coming out. Thank you, Tim. Timmy T. So thank you all for coming out. Uh, it's first Tuesdays. Today we're discussing a very important hot topic uh, with, the, with the basic question in mind of is abortion access as safe in Illinois as everyone seems to assume that it is? And we've got two incredible guests with us. Uh, Megan Javo, the director of the Chicago Abortion Fund. Round of applause. And Terry Cosgrove, the founder of Personal Pack. And to get us rolling, I think, um, can you both just say a few words about how you got involved in this work? Um, Terry, let's start with you. How did you get into reproductive justice work? Uh, what is the, what's your origin story with this? Well, I'm asked this question frequently, and there's about 10 different answers. So um, I'll start with the quickest one, because I don't think we have all night for that question. But um, I just always felt, um, as far back as I can remember, that, um, that it was wrong for w women not to have the right to make this decision. In, a very, in fact, recently I was unpacking some stuff, and I came across an eighth-grade essay that I wrote. And I literally was shaking, because I grew up in a very religious Catholic family, and I don't remember where my evolution happened. Well, I do, kind of, but that's, and so I pulled out this paper shaking, and I was pro-choice then, which made me feel really good. So, but I, I, it's just fundamental. I cannot imagine the cruelty, the wrongness, the, the inhumanity of, of forcing someone um, to carry a pregnancy against their will. I, I, and I strongly believe you cannot, that abortion rights can only exist in a democracy. You cannot have a democracy if you don't have abortion rights. So I'll just leave it right there. there there's a lot more, but that's it. And, and just say, uh, in case anybody here doesn't know what Personal Pack is, yes. what, what is the organization? Yeah, we, um, we are the sole organization that exists in Illinois to elect pro-choice candidates to state and local government, and I do know who Mandela Barnes is and support him 100%, but we don't do federal elections, we just do state elections, and um, uh, some say that I'm obsessed with the Illinois General Assembly and the constitutional offices, but that's what we do. And secondly, and just as importantly, is we hold them accountable. We just don't elect them. We hold them accountable. Well, they don't do what they said they were going to do in writing in our questionnaire. We defeat them in the next election, and uh, we make sure that they, uh, they keep their word when they say they're pro-choice. Terry, we have so much in common um, that I didn't know. So um, I also grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school. Um, I went to a pretty progressive Catholic school that where I think now that kind of school doesn't exist in my mind. Kind of, I was allowed to do a seventh grade presentation on being pro-choice and it wasn't blinked at. I don't remember, you know, um, being treated differently by my teachers. I do remember they did pair me. The person who went right after me was... Um, 
the child of an OBGYN who had like nine kids. So I think they were, you know, trying to, got to hear both sides. Um, but I felt supported in like exploring that part of, exploring reproductive health um, in my school and in my family. Um, and I got involved in the Chicago Abortion Fund. I'm also um, a storyteller with an organization called We Testify, um, which does leadership development for people who have had abortions and make sure that we are present at tables where abortion access is being discussed, that we're present in the media, that um, we can contextualize what is actually happening when it comes to abortion access. And so I started doing some work with them um, while I was a volunteer case manager at the Chicago Abortion Fund. Um, and that was about six years ago. And I came on as staff at CAF uh, three years ago, um, right as the bans in the Midwest um, were coming down, right as um, Missouri, Indiana, Kentucky, Alabama, all of these um, places were facing uh, the bans that we are seeing go into effect now. Um, so, and then the pandemic. So it's been a wild um, three years to work in abortion access. And can you just say a couple words about what the Chicago Abortion Fund does and how you work? Yeah, the Chicago Abortion Fund is Illinois' statewide abortion fund. Um, we work supporting people coming into Illinois, people who are from Illinois, and then we also support people around the region who are staying in their own states, primarily in as long as we can, right? Because that is changing rapidly, but primarily um, in Indiana, Nebraska, uh, and Iowa. We used to do a lot of work in Wisconsin, um, a lot of work in Kentucky, um, and those two places right now, as of last night, Kentucky does not have access any longer. It's been a really long five weeks working with Kentuckians to continue to get access in their state um, where we were trying to support people staying home for as long as we could because we know the minute that the restrictions came down, they would have to come to Illinois um, and we would see extended wait times, et cetera. So um, we're a part of the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is um, a member uh, network that has I think now close to 90 abortion funds around the country. Um, and we work with sibling funds. We have a really deep network. So we work with our sibling abortion funds around the region to connect people to care by any means necessary. We have not turned one caller away for our support since July of 2019. So, and, and I'll just, for scale, in 2018, we supported less than 200 people. Since Roe fell, we have supported close to 600. So the scale has, um, it's gone up, and but we're here, and we're not stopping, and we're going to support people by any means necessary. All right. Um, so here's my take on this uh, general topic, uh, and I, I hope this kind of shapes our conversation. And Terry's heard me on this a million times. Maya's heard me on this maybe a thousand times. Uh, and uh, But I feel very passionately about this. So I have a podcast, and on my podcast, we discuss politics. Uh, and as a routine, when we discuss abortion rights in the United States of America, Terry Cosgrove, my guest will say, virtually every guest will say, well, of course, this doesn't affect us in Illinois. And <laughs> I can't even get the words out because I cannot tell you strongly enough how fragile and Terry Cosgrove knows this as well as anyone, because this dude pretty much worked on every single state senate and state rep campaign of all these people who vote uh, yes for abortion rights. How fragile this is in the state of Illinois. And Megan, you know this because you're on the front lines. You're going to be besieged with people looking to get uh, abortions, probably coming from out of state. 
in the Illinois. Uh, so, Terry, please we'll start with you. Tell folks what the existential threats are in Illinois right now to uh, abortion rights with this upcoming election uh, in November. Those elections that could take that right and blow it up. Go ahead. Right. Um, thank you, Ben. Um, the first thing I want to say is it is a misnomer that Illinois is this solidly um, abortion rights state. We are not California. We are not New York. Our most critical, we've had three bills in the Illinois General Assembly signed by uh, two different governors. Each of those has passed with a bare minimum in the House. It takes 60 votes. In the Senate, it takes 30 votes. We passed the repeal of the, the dangerous and awful parental notice of abortion law with 62 votes in the House and 32 in the Senate. Two, a, a margin of two. The same thing with the Reproductive Health Act in 2019. That margin, I think, was 63 or 64 and 33. So there is no way that we can even start out for, with people thinking. I mean, we lose a few votes in the Illinois House and Senate, and, and we're done. You know, so right there. But what Ben is referring to is this election that's coming up in 98 days. And what's at stake is two Illinois Supreme Court cases. And I'm just going to do a little... Uh, court 101, the Illinois Supreme Court, first of all, is elected, and second of all, it is, there are, it's divided into districts, there are seven justices, three are elected countywide from Cook County, and then there's four other statewide districts, two of which are downstate Illinois, and they're controlled by right-wing Republicans. There are two open districts that are up for election in, in this race, and uh, one of them is anchored by Will and DuPage County in kind of the southern, western suburbs. The other is anchored on the north suburbs, which is basically Lake County, Kane, Kendall, McHenry, and DeKalb. So there's five there. There's about seven, but the others are really small, not to discount small counties. Every vote counts. Every county counts. So um, what we have is we have two pro-choice candidates running. In each of those districts, we have um, uh, we have Liz Rochford, who's running in the in District Two, which is the North Suburban one. She's running against Mark Curran, who, on his Facebook page, is celebrating to quote why we voted for Trump, and underneath was this was the headline of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, and then in the other, um, there's Mary Kay O'Brien, who is a who is a Liz Rochford is a sitting Lake County Circuit Court judge in the third district, the southern, the southern western district. There is Michael Burke, who has attended. He's the Republican there. He has attended um, the anti-choice um, galas and all of their organizations. Um, he's he's tied in with Peter Breen, who is the person that filed the lawsuit against HB forty that I'll get into. Ben will more always ask me about HB40 whenever I'm on the show, so I'll let that go until I'm asked specifically to comment. But um, And then uh, Mary Kay O'Brien is the appellate court judge who's running against Michael Burke. Here's the nut here, and then I'll get, get into HB40. If we lose these two seats, we will have four justices out of seven on the Illinois Supreme Court. That will overturn House Bill 40. And what did House Bill 40 do? It repealed 
the trigger law in 2017, Illinois was one of four states in the entire country to have a trigger law that said the day that Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion would, life would begin at conception, abortion would be illegal in the state of Illinois with no, no exceptions, not for a woman's life, not for her health, not for rape and incest, no abortion in Illinois, and would outlaw the most commonly used forms of birth control, including the IUD and the pill, and IVF would be illegal because that's a post-fertilization. So, so we passed that bill. The day after um, that bill was signed into law, the right-wingers filed a lawsuit against it. It is sitting in the circuit court right now as we sit here, waiting, just like the right-wingers were waiting 49 years for us U.S. Supreme Court that would grant them the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We will have four justices. The right-wingers are waiting for the day when they have four votes on the court to overturn House Bill 40, which would um, immediately put Illinois' trigger law into effect, and I just told you what would happen. I, it's important to mention one other thing, because the, the, in addition to the trigger law, what the what House Bill 40 did is Illinois had a um, had a ban on Medicaid paying for uh, for abortion care and uh, and we lifted that restriction in fact uh, I was telling Ben last night on the phone the two things I'm most proud of in my entire career working in the abortion rights movement is restoring abortions at Cook County Hospital in 1992 right Ben is it do I have the year right you're always correcting me yes okay thank you and uh, and 10,000 low-income women a year get their abortion care at Cook County Hospital and then HB 40 because what that did was allow low-income women to get their abortions paid for under the state Medicaid plan so just to be clear, because again, this can be like very confusing to people who don't know the, how the intricacies of the court work. So there's already been a lawsuit filed challenging the repeal of HB 40. Yes. Am I understanding correctly? It, well, which, which county is it in? Oh, it's, um, I'm not sure. It might be in Springfield or it might be. So it's not a Cook County Circuit Court case. No, no, it's not a Cook County Circuit Court. But the lawsuit has been filed. Yes. But it hasn't been ruled on. No, it has not. And if. I'm not an attorney, but they have a right to ask the Illinois Supreme, to skip the Circuit Court and the Appellate Court and ask the Illinois Supreme Court to take it up. And that's what they're waiting for. I see. And so if the Illinois Supreme Court flips Republican, there's a high chance that they will just take it yes, up. They'll take it right to the Illinois Supreme Court. And so on do you know like what is the basis of this lawsuit? They're claiming what? Like what that they, that was unconstitutional to repeal HB forty? Or what's the what's it even standing well, for? Well, I will refer you to the rationale that was used for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It doesn't matter what the what the legal argument is um, they will just say that they are they find it illegal they'll find some little I'm not an attorney I haven't read the lawsuit but they they have they have constructed what they consider a legal argument that says the, the Illinois General Assembly and the governor overreached or something they, they will find something the point is and you know all these people that were calling 
the overturning of Roe v. Wade unconstitutional, I, I mean, no offense, but I was laughing because something is only constitutional if a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court says it is. And the rationale that they used um, to say that they wanted it returned to the states so, the, so that the voters and the citizens of these states, and I want to point out one thing about this argument. Uh, and I really, and no offense to um, the media every, anywhere or the press, but it is the <laughs> stunning, the stunning arrogance of Justice Alito to say in his majority opinion that this decision should be returned to the voters in individual states when out of the other side of his mouth he is doing absolutely everything he can to uphold voter suppression so that voters in the state of Wisconsin and every and so many other states in this country do not have access to the ballot to weigh in on the question of abortion or anything else. And that stunning hypocrisy yeah. has completely been ignored. And my unless Ben, I don't listen <laughs> I haven't heard every word that has come out of your mouth. I have not admittedly read every word you've written in a column. It's the same as the words that come yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I so I feel an obligation to point that out. And so to answer your question, for someone to say that we think this decision should be returned to the states and now the other side of your mouth, make sure that vast majorities of people, elderly people, people with disabilities, lower income people, people of color, um, you know, the list goes on of the people that they are trying to deny access to the ballot. The, the stunning hypocrisy yeah. um, never seems to end. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I have complete faith that the Illinois Supreme Court, when it's dominated by religious zealots, will find the same, some rationale, and it won't matter how legal or, um, or how much water it holds. Um, they'll, they'll find a way to do it because yeah. that's what they believe. Yeah. I, I think the narrative that Illinois is butterflies and rainbows for abortion access is is tragically false. The Chicago Abortion Fund would not exist if, um, if one, our legality was all we needed. We need so much more um, than legality. And Illinoisians, people in Chicago, we did a survey a couple of years ago about how many zip codes in Chicago were we supporting. And Chicago is a place with, compared to the rest of the, the state, with abundant clinics, right? We have many more clinics. I think 11 counties in Illinois have clinics right now. Um, five of those clinics cannot provide procedural abortion, only medication abortion, which stops at 10 or 11 weeks. So that creates huge barriers for people across the state. And then in Chicago, we looked at who we were supporting financially with House Bill 40 in effect, with Medicaid coverage for abortion care. And it was over 80% of Chicago zip codes had people calling the Chicago Abortion Fund for support paying for their abortion, paying for their abortion for support getting there, for support with childcare, for support with meals, for support with all of these things you actually need to go to a highly politicized and stigmatized medical procedure where if your community, if you don't if your community doesn't support abortion access or if you just don't know that they support abortion access, you can't you know, I always use this analogy like if I needed to get my wisdom teeth removed and travel two hours to the nearest place that would remove my wisdom teeth and I was gonna be hopped up on pain meds and my sweet husband in the audience couldn't pick me up. I could ask my neighbor, 
hey, uh, what are you doing? Can you pick me up? Or somebody in my book club or somebody in my place of worship or someone to pick me up and they wouldn't bat an eye. But when we don't talk about abortion and what it takes to get an abortion and what it means to get an abortion and all of these things, we don't know who we can go to in our community to access that kind of support. And you need community support and care to access an abortion, whether you're in a blue state um, or if you're in one of the states where these horrific bans are now actually happening and actually in effect. You need that kind of um, community support. And at CAF, we provide that. And in Illinois, we need deep investment in abortion funds. We need investment at every level of government. We need a investment from the city, the county, the state, and then private philanthropy to help us support people coming into the state. Because of all of the work that Terry and other abortion advocates have done, we have created this receiving state for people, but now we have a responsibility. So we've created it for Illinoisians, and and, and also I just wanna say with the, the Medicaid coverage of HB 40 has been completely transformational for calf callers. It has been, when, when I'm on the phone with someone and I can say, oh, you have Medicaid? Here are the clinics you can go to for no charge where you don't have to pay a dime. It has been transformational. People. Illinoisians with private insurance, however, are very often left out of that. Even though the Reproductive Health Act mandated insurance coverage to be covered at the same rate as maternal health care, people with high co-pays, high deductibles, um, that leaves abortion out of reach for so many. We just regularly, now regularly, it sounds terrible, are paying $3,000 for people's, med for, for, for abortion care, for privately insured um, people in Illinois. The vast majority of people we support in Illinois now are privately insured. So at CAF, we want to see Illinois have zero copays, zero dollar copays. That is what California is doing. It's what some other states are exploring. And we need people in Illinois to step up and say, we want our tax dollars to support this work. We, we, we want to support people coming into Illinois with our tax dollars because it's our responsibility to do so. All right, uh, I'm going to follow up on that, but I just want to, uh, before we leave what Terry said, I want to repeat this so it's solidified in my mind, in the minds of the people here, and all the minds of people are going to be listening to this when I drop it on my podcast. So, I could just hear, I know how Chicagoans behave. Well, Ben, if JB's are reelected, then we're safe. Okay, Chicagoans, you don't get the game. If MAGA takes those two Supreme Court seats, it's 4-3. Old boy Breen brings that lawsuit to MAGA, makes up some cockamamie reason to have it overturned. MAGA is just drinking from that Kool-Aid. They rule, boom. The right to abortion in the state of Illinois, established by HB 40, is thrown out the window. The trigger law kicks in. Abortion is illegal in Illinois, and it does not matter if J.B. Pritzker is the governor. Is that correct, Terry Cosgrove? Yes, to a yes, yes, it is. It is. It is. Look at him wavering. You I know, say no, yes. 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 Maga would go. Yeah. See, that's yeah. the difference between Maga and uh, and non Maga. Non Maga's like, well, you well, know, legally. The only Maga no, no. Playing, I'm not. Man. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not doing any of that. Okay. Yeah. What I am doing is hard to say that that. Darren Bailey defeating J.B. Prisker doesn't matter. So that was my valid point. That was my hesitation. You're saying it doesn't matter. I don't want to give people the impression valid that point. That, uh, that that 
that that outcome, that somehow having a 100% pro-choice governor uh, in terms of the law what okay. doesn't matter. All so right, so let me bring going. it back. Valid point. I'll bring it back Thank to Megan you. with Darren Bailey in mind. Darren Bailey, if people don't know, is the Republican nominee for governor of state of Illinois. The Republicans, in their infinite wisdom, they had a primary. They could have elected five, six different people. They chose to elect with over 50% of the vote, close to 60% of the vote. This, the, I always call him the maggiest MAGA man in the state of Illinois. He's a state senator from downstate. He's the guy that, if you if you know nothing about politics, state down state politics, he's, I call him the big feller who walked out of the legislature because he didn't want to have to wear a mask. He is so anti-abortion that in 2017, he went on his Facebook page and he said abortions, the number of abortions that have happened in this country's abortion was uh, legalized with by Roe, uh, is worse than the number of Jews killed by the Nazis in the Holocaust, okay? So if you're Jewish, I think twice about voting for the dude right there and then. Uh, his argument, Megan, and part of his argument against uh, HB 40 is not just that uh, guarantees uh, women the right to choose, it's taxpayer dollars. Uh, and he is convinced, I know how the MAGA mind works, he is convinced seen MAGA in action for a long time now. I know how that little brain works. He is convinced that he can win. Most people in the state of Illinois, follow me on this, people. So most people in the state of Illinois goes, well, Ben, if a woman's raped, she should be able to have an abortion. I'm just saying. Okay. But should the state pay for it? They don't know. That's so complicated. He's convinced, Megan, that that's a winning political argument. And that's the first step. That's all MAGA needs is that one step. They got those dumb Democrats in the 1970s that signed on to the Hyde Amendment. I know you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but if you look it up, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. That was the Hyde Amendment, right? Yeah, Henry Hyde from good old 6th Congressional. All right, so do you think, in your humble opinion, if you put it before the voters of Illinois that abortion is a fundamental right that should be available to everybody despite your income, and if that means Medicaid pays for it, so be it. That would be a winning issue in Illinois. Or do you think Illinois voters would go, I don't know, Ben. People shouldn't have to pay for things they don't want with their tax dollars. Go. I'm going to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 please do. Yeah. I have some. Yeah. I, have, yeah. I already did a poll on this. Right, this is what I, yeah, this is I already did a poll on it. You know what? The majority of, of Illinois voters support... That's right. Funding for abortion care, period. That, that's it. We've already done it. So if Darren Bailey wants to run on that issue, put it, put it, go, it. we'll take it on. We'll take it on. And it's so that's all. Go what ahead. Yeah. That? And I, I think I think fundamentally we have like seeded the like cultural um, narrative to the right for so long. We have not said the word abortion. We have not proclaimed our abortions, why they have changed our lives, why they have mattered to us. The majority of people who have abortions in this country are parenting. This is a family issue, period. This affects, if you are denied an abortion, a very great study called the Turnaway Study very clearly shows your income is affected for years. Your children suffer when you are denied a wanted abortion. Abortion access is a family and a and a and a and a, and a child protective issue. Um, the majority of people in this country support 
access to abortion. They did not want to see Roe overturned. They are silent. They have been silent for too long. I went to D.C. for oral arguments um, in December, and the other side was so emboldened by what was happening. This was like their fucking homecoming. I mean, they, and it wasn't just like the, the wild people you see outside of clinics with the horrible graphic pictures. This was like a slice of anti-choice forced birth humanity. And you would see the MAGA representatives come out in their suits and in their stuff and they were taking selfies with the you know the 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 people outside of the clinics i mean and they they have been so well organized for so long and they have been single singly focused on this issue for so long and it took them this amount of time and they've done it and we have sat there when texas outlawed abortion virtually um when sb8 happened in september the lack of response from the Supreme Court should have outraged everyone, and it didn't. And I talked to communications people that said polling, and particularly in blue states, well, that's just Texas. That's just Mississippi. That's just Missouri. No, it's not. Wisconsin is 90 minutes, not even. Indiana is right next door to us. I live on the south side of Chicago. I can get to Gary, Indiana faster than I can get to have cocktails at some fancy bar in Logan Square. This is our community. And so to, to pretend that this is, that, that, and to your point, that we are not this close to losing this too here in Illinois, when we have not just a region depending on us, we have a nation depending on us. I today have supported people from Tennessee, multiple people from Tennessee, multiple people from Texas. When Arizona fell for a while, the Chicago Abortion Fund was helping people from Arizona. Do you know where that is on a map? That's next to California. So like the idea that, um, anyway, I, I could, I, I, the idea, just, I, you know, I thank you, <laughs> Megan. I, I want to point out to people that we're talking uh, that, and Megan, help me out here. You probably know the statistics better, but now well over 50% of pregnancy terminations are happening with the abortion pill. This is a pill that is safer than an Advil or a Tylenol. We are forcing women from the Central Valley of, of Texas to drive over 500 miles to, to Illinois to take a pill that is safer than an Advil or a Tylenol. This, this is what we're doing. This is, and if you live in Illinois, that you can have a telehealth visit yeah. today and get overnighted to your house tomorrow. Right. If you live in Illinois. Yeah, if you live in Illinois. And, and not only that, the doctors and the, the woman has to sign an affidavit that she won't take the pill in the state of Texas because if she does, she can, um, she can be, have a 10,000 bounty and, and the doctor who gave her the pill or the person, it doesn't have to be a doctor, um, you know, I, I could easily, and so could Megan, give anyone here a pill that's safer than Advil or Tylenol. And, and so, so that's what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about the, the cruelty, the barrier to do something, and I don't want to minimize what an abortion is as a man, but that is, that, that, that's what we're talking about here. Well, I think that the point that you made, Megan, about how people who are pro-choice or pro-access or however you want to put it, have just kind of been like silent and in the background for so long. And it's interesting that I think on some level, 
there's like it's seen as like extremely radical to say like I am pro abortion. And it's the way that the right wing rhetoric around this has has really become so influential over the decades is to frame this as a pro-life or pro-choice thing, not as an anti-anything. You know, now now they're saying they're anti-abortion, and that's an easy politically palpable thing to say. But 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 in a way, it's almost like the premise that an abortion is somehow anti-life is baked into the idea that you won't say you're pro-abortion, that you have to say that you're pro-choice. Um, and I'm just wondering, I mean, do, that, do you see a moment in which this kind of rhetorical battle was lost? Like, was there, and, and I mean, I see now in like very kind of radical corners, people are a lot like owning the concept of being pro-abortion. Are you are you seeing that kind of activated more? And yeah, I think it's changed. Um, if you had told me six years ago, before I started like working um, with We Testify and understanding what it meant to tell my story, that like I would sit up here and be like, I've had two abortions; they saved my life. I'm so thankful for them. Um, and to be able to also connect the issue of abortion access to gender, racial, and economic justice, I think, is where we have failed. Is not tying in all of the pieces of of um, of that puzzle, um, and I think that um, when we when we situ we have situated abortion care separate from other kinds of reproductive health care for so long, and as Terry was saying, now we're, we're going to see attacks on IVF, we're going to see attacks on birth control. Reproductive health care in general is is situated separately, and then abortion is like way way over there because we don't want to have maybe sticky conversations, right? Um, I remember. A couple months ago, I was in the car line with my kids, and I don't remember what came up. And and I have seven-year-old twins, and one of them somehow we abortion came up as it regularly does for some reason in my house. Um, and my daughter says to my my son, "Yeah, mom had an abortion before us." He's like, well, "What's an abortion?" Well, she was pregnant, and she got unpregnant, and then she had us. And I'm like, "Yes, that is all. That is all a seven-year-old needs, you know." And we have to have these conversations young. I don't know what your family thought, you know, in eighth grade when you were writing your your treaties on being, you know, pro-choice. Um, but it was important in my family, and we had some conversations about them. But it was not like full-throated support of abortion access and directly tying it to all of these other systems that we're interacting with every day as people in society. And I think that's what we need to do is let people understand um, the intersectionality and the complexity of everything as it relates to each individual person and their identity. Yeah, um, I wanna follow up on that because my family was invoked. And, um, <laughs> and I, to answer the original question, one of the 12 reasons um, is um, 11 years ago, my mother passed away. My mom was a, um, I'm Sicilian, that's the bad part of me. Um, and um, my mother, who is Sicilian, went to church every single day. And um, she died of Alzheimer's 11 years ago. And in the two or three years up to her illness, when she started exhibiting all of her, um, everything, uh, all of her defenses came down. And she told my brother, sister, and I that she almost died of an illegal abortion in 1959. And the reason for that was is that she had three kids that she loved dearly. My father at that time was an alcoholic, a violent alcoholic, and he died um, 
30 years sober in AA, so I want to put that out here. And everything was healed with our family as a result of that. Um, but my mother did that out of, out of love for her three children because she knew if she had a fourth child, the family would fall apart. We would, we would basically be homeless. And it drives me stark raving mad that my dear mother, who was really like Edith Bunker, if I had to tell you what my mother was like, carried around that guilt and that shame her whole life and could never tell anyone and only did it. And listen, she knew, I've been at Personal Pack for 33 years. She, know, she knew and my mom and I were like this when, when I was growing up. There was no reason in the world for her not to tell me until she did uh, in that three years. So the, we, we have to get over the shame and the stigma. I mean, the stigma that I think you were getting at. Megan. And, and so it's important for everyone to have these conversations or every go, yes, I don't have children, but it does come up in my household and everywhere I go. In fact, I tell people all the time, I feel like I have a tattoo on my forehead that says, if you've had an abortion, please tell me your story, yeah. which, which sounds strange, but it never, ever lets me forget why I do this work because there's at least twice a week I have someone... I spend a lot of money raising money because that's what I do at Personal Pack. I spend 70% of my time. And it amazes me that I will sit down with someone who I don't know very well. And one of the very first things she'll tell me is, I want to tell you my story. And, and you know, close to 40% of American women will have an abortion in their lifetime. So it is something we should be talking about all over the place. And... The, and just a little bit of history, the biggest mistake that was made after Roe is the American Medical Association refused to integrate abortion care into our healthcare system, which is why the independent providers and Planned Parenthood had to take over, and now we are reaping, and it, and it drove me crazy when the AMA finally issued a statement after Roe v. Wade fell and called it a tragedy. Yeah. It's like, where have you people been for the last 49 years when you should have stepped up on day one when nine doctors were murdered in cold blood, where were you? Nine AMA doctors have been murdered. We all probably know about Dr. George Tiller in Wichita. Where has the medical establishment been? And they had better step up now. They better start doing their job all these doctors and help out because now we need you. But do you see it ever becoming a effective and winning political message for people to just come right out and say I'm pro-abortion? Yeah. Um, you know, this is, you know, I, I have these conversations all the time. What I, I'm aware of my audience and we need, and I, I'm going to get to the election here. I want, I want to tell the good news about how we're going to win these Supreme Court races. Currently, about 30%, 29-30% of 18 to 29-year-olds vote in these elections. We don't have to get all 71 or 70%. We need to get that up to 32 or 33%. So what messages are we going to message to that to, to that? group of people. The other people that we need to win this election for these Supreme Courts are white suburban women, 53% who voted for Trump in 2016. We don't need all 53% of them, to, who, many of whom are pro-choice, to vote with us. What we need to do is get that down to 48 or 49%. If we do those two things, 
then we will win these Supreme Court races and we'll win all the elections. And you're you're saying you're not winning those white suburban women with a we're pro-abortion message. Exactly. And I... Megan, you disagree? Well, I mean, I don't, right. talk, I, don't, I don't know them, so I can't say yeah. what's going to work for them. I don't, I don't know those people. Um, I will say that the majority of people in this country and in this state in particular um, do not, did not want to see Roe fall. And, and understand that these barriers, those those white suburban voters that voted for Trump, I promise you they've had abortions. Right. They've right. called our hotline and I've heard their stories. And um, a lot of our time on our hotline is spent helping people understand that the difficulty they have faced in accessing this abortion is not reflective of the morality of their abortion. And we also need to help the, the general public also understand that because they begin to be okay with the restrictions that we're seeing. They be, well, six weeks, I mean, you have plenty of, well, first of all, you don't have plenty of time at six weeks. Well, 15 weeks, you have, no, you don't. Well, 20 weeks, any restriction, any ban at any gestation is harmful for people who are pregnant and for families because this is who this issue affects most deeply. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm, stra political strategy is def definitely I, not for me. I, I could not, Talk, I could not have those conversations because I do think we need to be unapologetically pro-abortion. I've had abortions. I'm pro-abortions. I don't use euphemisms, and I think all of us need to move beyond euphemisms. We don't say a woman's choice. We don't say reproductive rights. We don't only refer to women when we talk about who has abortions. We say abortion access affects people who can become pregnant or people who have the, the capacity for pregnancy, and any restriction or any ban on abortion is harmful for people, period. I, uh, I appreciate this, uh, this like, mini division here between uh, Terry and Megan, I'll tell you why. Uh, it's, a, it's a practical, I, I, listen, I, if we lose these two Supreme Court seats. No, 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 I'm not blaming. I'm still help people get abortions. No, I'm not blaming anyone. All I'm saying is that we have data and we have polling. In fact, I just saw a poll recently where we tested the people who have abortions with women. A twelve percent drop. I know. And, I and know so, it. but we have to move I know. people. We but have to move people. You tested the pro-abortion. The pro-abortion. No, no. There's a tested. I'm just using one example of of. Listen, I don't. I don't want. I agree with you. I agree with. But what I did you test that got the twelve percent drop? Tested people who have abortions versus, versus women, and there's a twelve percent drop. Oh, I, and the you if you switch the term women for people, people who have, have abortion. Exactly. And there's there a 12% drop in there support? Yes. Turfs, that's yes. why. There is data. Now, I, I don't agree with it, but if we are going to win elections, which is what I'm about, and I, I, I agree with what Megan is saying. I totally agree with it, but I'm about winning elections, and I don't think that I'm sacrificing some moral principle here to communicate with people in a way that they understand. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I, and, and to say that, um, and to do that, I don't consider it a, a, a moral failing that I'm going to try to win two Supreme Court seats that are going to keep abortion safe and legal for 56 million women in the Midwest who, who are depending on Illinois for their abortion care. I don't, I don't want to even have the argument or the discussion. No, but, I, I, just, I just think it's important to note that, and I think storytelling is a big piece of yes. this, right? I have had abortions. I am friends with trans men who have had abortions. I know non-binary people who have had abortions. I, 
when I am inclusive, it is because I, I understand very clearly working on our hotline all of the people who this issue intersects with. I understand you have to have conversations that I don't have to have. And those and folks I, are taken for granted by like they're, they're. And I think we have to move yeah. people. I think we have to, to to explain why our language has to be inclusive and why we have to be inclusive of people. Um, I, I I just I think that's important. And I'm not opposed to that. I want to be clear. We do have to move people. It's you know the the example I want to use is marriage equality. When there 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 were messages around marriage equality that got it to be legal in the United States and it was how we move certain segments of the population to support marriage equality and there were people who objected the way we were I, I wasn't involved with that I, I'm a hundred percent working on choice but there were arguments about how we talked about marriage equality and there was one camp that said we need to talk about it in a way to get it to be legal and then we can expand you know, how we talk about it. And I feel the same way about this. If, a, if abortion is illegal in Illinois and, and no one can get one, well, okay, what kind of conversation are we gonna have then? So that, that's my point. We're, you know, it's, um, so at any rate, I, I even hate having this discussion. No, no, it's you ben, hate ben, it. Ben, I, you I, started I, this by calling yeah, it a division, so what do you no, mean? I, I, yeah, I, I, what do you mean? I, no, I disagree. I, what is I, this about, Ben? I, I vehemently disagree with Terry, uh, which is not the first time. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and, and Maya warned me before the show not to turn it into a Ben and Terry thing. Uh, and so I really will try not to. But uh, the reality is, I've known this guy for 30 years, I want to say. He is a pragma pragmatist. It's he on his uh, letterhead on his uh, little email. He has the number of votes you need in the Senate and the House of Representatives uh, and the governor to pass a bill. Okay, so it's all about achieving that number. And I wish more people. I say this all the time. I wish I wish my friends in the movement to have fair distribution of public dollars were as focused and fixated on pragmatism as you were. Uh, that said, you need people wearing T-shirts that said, I had an abortion. What okay. did my T-shirt say? Uh, <laughs> I had an abortion. No, it doesn't. It said, defend abortion access. Okay, but my, my point is is that you have to push on this issue because the no matter, even, I, enter, I hear you, T. The other side is gonna demonize you uh, in, that, in that race. It's gonna be hard to outdo Mark Curran, we can get into him. He's out of his freaking mind. He's running as a, uh, a justice on the re Republican side. But uh, I do believe it's like any issue. You need people like Megan pushing, yes. pushing. The other side's got, Megan's got their people pushing and all. everybody's falling in line. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just, I like the I just also practically types. too, um, when we're on our hotline and we ask people their pronouns, there are some people that are like, what? What is that? Yeah. And I say, you know, I use she, her pronouns. When you talk about me, you can use she, her. What about you? And then there are some people who are like, oh, they, them. Thank you for asking me. No one in this whole journey from making the appointment at the clinic to my doctors, to all, no one has asked me actually how I would like to be referred to um, or my gender identity and how that impacts my ability to access this kind of care. And, and my job is to talk to those people every day and our callers every day and get them what they need. And by being inclusive in my language, if that supports them, then that is my primary goal. 
Megan, if I, I had I, your job, I would do the exact same thing. I really would. And I don't. So I have. Yeah. And, I that, have and that's and that's my point. At you doing what you're doing is amazing and wonderful. And I hope. And that, I try to stay that, in my lane. No, that's I know, that, but I yeah. hope that we can encourage those those people after we win whatever we need yeah, to win. We do. That we can have these conversations and explain to people why this issue does need to be inclusive. And I really think if you just take the time to explain it to people, they're like, oh yeah, I, I get that. So I have a question. We're gonna open it up to audience questions, but I have a question for both of you in relation to your specific jobs, okay? And I'm gonna ask Megan first, and if you guys can keep it kind of concise so we can get some folks' questions in here if they have any. So my first question, Megan, is like, okay, if worst case scenario pans out, Supreme Court flips Republican, this, you know, we don't have HB 40, you know, this dark day arrives in Illinois, what will that, what will like the day after that look like for the Chicago Abortion Fund? What will, what, what will that mean for you all's work? How will that world look for you and your work? Um. I mean, I think that CAF has um, 37 years of connecting people to abortion care under really difficult circumstances, and we will continue to do that regardless of what a court says, whether it's the state Supreme Court or the federal court. Um, we do work in this network of abortion funds around the region, and as a receiving state, we're constantly in communication with people sending their people here, and I imagine that that would flip, and our efforts would go towards getting people out of Illinois. Um, and unfortunately, we have had many years to perfect this technique because people have been pouring into Illinois for a very long time. Our callers have been in a post-Roe reality for decades since the Hyde Amendment um, was passed by Henry Hyde, a representative of Illinois. Um, Low-income people, people of color, young people, immigrants, all of those people have not had um, equal access to abortion ever. So this work that we're doing now, it, it has not changed for us. It is the scale that has changed. The circumstances, they're not something that's new to us. It is not new to us to figure out how to get someone from Kentucky to Illinois or how to get someone from Nebraska to Iowa and back to Iowa and you know back and forth between these states that are ping-ponging. We work with over 55 clinics across seven states. So we are already moving people all around the region and sometimes the country. So that, that will not change regardless of, of what happens in Illinois. However, obviously, I do think it's critical. Illinois has a very strong ecosystem of support here. We have the most dedicated providers. The, the doctors here are incredible. There are clinics moving into Illinois from states that, um, that have bans. There's, there's Wisconsin clinics moving here. There's a clinic in Memphis is opening up um, a location in Carbondale. So, I mean, we are trying, we are hoping that Illinois can continue uh, this trajectory of being this receiving state but um, the Chicago Abortion Fund is never going to stop helping people get access to care, no matter what a court or a law says. Okay, and Terry, my question for you is this. So you mentioned early on in the conversation about how close all of these pro-access votes have been in the state legislature, how they've been like really just by a couple of votes that we got the Reproductive Health Care Act, that we got HB 40. So. 
what is like there's an election in November. Can this election cycle could the state house and the state senate flip in such a way that that pro access consensus dissolves and if it's not this cycle like how far away are we from uh from that from the makeup of the state legislature changing just enough to make that math different sub question is the disappearance of Michael Madigan from the leadership of the party, does that have to do with how fragile this consensus is now? I'm not talking about the <laughs> leadership of... I, I mean, it, it's just not relevant. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, 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 that's okay. fine. So, that so the first thing is I want people to understand we are likely to win or lose these two Supreme Court seats by a few thousand votes. So that's what we're talking about here. So, um, so, so that's what we need to focus on. Um, yes, and to Megan's point, Illinois has to do so much more. So if we lose our pro-choice majorities in the Illinois House or Senate, so in other words... Could it happen this cycle? Yes, absolutely. It oh could my happen God. in November. Yes, it could happen in November, for t and, and we could lose that 62, 63 um, margin, 32, 33 margin. So all the things that Megan is talking about that we need to do in addition, which is provide state money to support right. all the services, may not be available um, if we don't have the votes in the Illinois General Assembly. It is, it's that clear. So this November, this the, November, the Supreme Court could become no Republican, we could have a Republican governor, and the state legislature would flip. Yes, yeah, all of that is very well, possible. Wait, wait, okay. let me finish. Okay. If, if everyone is reading the press, we, um, I assume most of you are political junkies. That's why you're here and you listen to Ben. But Democrats are facing a very, very tough headwind coming into this. This, this, the the clouds over this election could not be greater with with the first term of a newly elected president. The White House suffers losses up and down the ballot. We have that. We have the. And I'm not. I mean, I don't want to list all the problems, but. There is absolutely no guarantee that we can survive this election cycle with our pro-choice majorities in Springfield and these Supreme Court races unless we all do what we need to do, which is spend the next 98 days doing everything we can to drag out every single voter we know in these targeted districts. And Jane's Army is our activist group here, so I want everyone to take that leaflet that's on it's the It's the flyer under the, the big rock. And, and then the map that shows Illinois, the only state in the middle of the country where this is available. And if we lose these, if we lose these two Supreme Court seats, then, I mean, we're done. I, I don't know any other way to talk about it. Illinois will not be a pro-choice state. And in addition, I want to point out, this is part of the... You know, it was all the time people were saying, well... It, once Roe v. Wade, people acted that once Roe v. Wade is overturned, that the anti-choices are just going to go away and they're going to be happy. Job done. We worked at this for 49 years. We succeeded. We're all going. We're all going home. We're done. They are just getting started. Oh, yeah. If Illinois falls, do you really think they're going to leave New Absolutely. Jersey, New York, Connecticut on the East Coast, and California, Oregon on the West Coast? No. The target that's on Illinois back in this race and 
the millions and millions of dollars that Ken Griffin has already put into winning these Supreme Court seats for Republicans, Illinois is just going to be another domino that's going to fall. They're going to go to the next day. Their goal is to make abortion illegal across the state, across the country, under all circumstances, for all time, for all women and people who get pregnant. And they are not going to stop until they get there. Absolutely. And that is what's at stake here. This is, you know, this isn't a one-off here, folks. This is, this is there. And you know what kills me? It, it reminds me of my Angelo's quote, which is on our Jane's Army. When someone tells you who they are, believe them the first time, you can go to any anti-abortion website, and they will tell you what their goal yeah. is to make abortion illegal under all circumstances for all time for all women. It's there. You don't. I. You don't have to think that I'm making it up. Just go there. And I want to finish with one thing. When I started this work in the 1990s, there was not a single anti-abortion bill that was filed in the Illinois General Assembly. And by the way, Governor uh, Governor Thompson in the 70s and 80s vetoed 34 of 34 anti-abortion bills. We were the most anti-choice state in the country. We had spousal consent. That means a married woman had to get her husband's written permission to get an abortion. When, when we passed that stuff, that it was, it was seen that Illinois would never change. It changed because we did the political work. And all right, now I gotta, I'm gonna address the question that Terry didn't address, and I'm gonna address it because it's a very important. I think that people realize the fundamental shift that has happened in this state with the Democratic Party on this issue. So I will address the Michael Joseph Madigan question that Terry would not address. Uh, and it doesn't matter what I say because he doesn't care what I say. He does care what uh, Terry says. So here's the reality. We are in a better position on this particular issue with Chris Welch as the Speaker of the House of course. than we were with Michael Joseph Madigan. Michael Joseph Madigan was about one thing in politics, gaining power. If he could gain power by electing anti-choice Democrats from swing districts, he would do it. And he didn't care about Terry Cosgrove. What Terry Cosgrove did, and he will never say this publicly, but I will say it publicly, is that he beat Madigan's people in their district and he showed Madigan that abortion rights was a winning issue. And suddenly, Michael Joseph Madigan inched, inched, and it was inching, TC, he was inching over. I can remember him letting that Joe Lyons, that nutcase state rep, introduce all these bills where like the fetal heartbeat bills and everything back. And he would let him do it because he knew that Joseph Lyons wanted to show his uh, Catholic constituents, hey, look how tough I am on abortion. Those days are over. In the Democratic Party, if you're not pro-choice, you're Dan Lipinski. You're out of here. And you're running on a third-party ticket. And... This guy won't take the credit, but I will give him the credit, but you cannot avoid the fact that Michael Madigan was a huge impediment to abortion rights in the state of Illinois because he didn't push on the, just what you said alone says it all. It took a Republican governor, Jim Thompson, 34 vetoes. Those bills, Michael Joseph Madigan was in the state house when those bills were passing. Those bills would not have passed if he didn't, if he, if he fought them. And I just cannot let the Democrats fall back on those old days where they just, what, spit in the face of their constituents. You know what I mean? Slither back to the ways they were where they like trying to play both sides. The other side's not playing both sides, people. The other side's playing one side. 
their side. So this wishy-washy Democratic stuff, well, <laughs> Ben, with the wind's blowing that way, so I'm going to go, oh, no, no, no. I want a Democrat who'll let the wind blow in his face and stand there for once in a while. First of all, this I want to say there is no doubt that Speaker Welch is 100% pro-choice. Yeah. He's sponsored the IRJ. He was the lead sponsor on the repeal of parental notice until he was elected speaker. Then the speaker generally doesn't sponsor bills except like the budget and all that. And so state rep Anna Moeller took it over and he was instrumental in getting it passed. So I don't want anyone listening to here to think that I don't think Chris Welch is a, an, an improvement. And But I do want to give Madigan his due where it's due. He called HB 40. He got it passed in his house before it got passed in the Senate. Then it went over to the Senate. He called the Reproductive Health Act and got it passed in the House of Madigan before it went to the Senate. So I think it's, I think it's important to be fair when we're talking about the reality of the politics here, Ben. So I just want to give... I, I think it's important. That's my perspective. I, I, I let's, always let's give my guests the last <laughs> word. Always give my guests the last let's word. Let's get some audience questions in here. You all have been waiting a long time. We got a mic, I think. Um, does anyone have a question? Otherwise, we'll just keep this show going. <laughs> anyone have any immediate burning questions? Over here. I wanted to ask more about the maybe disconnect, but maybe it's not a disconnect between the women who use your resources to have an abortion and then turn around and vote for politicians. Can you describe that cognitive function there? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we see it in people voting against their own interests all the time in this country. Um, it's a regular American pastime. Um, I, I have literally had people call me. I one I remember really well, um, who called CAF, and it was my call somehow. Somehow I get the good ones. Um, and this person said, "You know I'm pro-life, but I have these dogs, and there's so much money, and I have to be able to take care of my dogs." And um, I said okay, and figured out how to support her. And I probably told my husband, what just happened? This is somebody who doesn't, who is worried about their pets. But again, close to 70% of people who have abortions are parenting. And you're worried about your dogs? Like, we are dealing with circumstances to get an abortion that are beyond the pale, what people are experiencing. To The decision to decide whether to start or grow your family is so important and this person is I mean pets are important but like you are pro-life but for the dog I mean I I don't yeah I don't have any other way to and I, I think I have people in my life who also have shared with me that they have family members who have had abortions but are pro-life except when it comes to them and I think that is just as American as apple pie and that's what we kind of talk about, that a lot of people are anti-choice, or we're going to use the word, I, I shy away from calling them pro-life because they're not. But and it's not, it's not a yeah, criticism. Not yeah, 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 exactly. Pro, her, 
and ex pro-life except for me and the people I know. And I, my story is, I have a story. Um, I was a clinic escort in the 90s uh, at, uh, at a provider here, Family Planning Associates, I don't mind, when they were on Western Avenue. And there was a woman that was out there every Saturday morning with her anti-choice signs and screaming at people going in and passing out the pamphlets. And uh, this went on for several years. And one day, one, it was a Saturday morning, uh, the director of the clinic who let us come in and use the bathrooms in the winter gave us hot chocolate and everything, very nice called me and I said, Terry, you're not going to believe that Mrs. Jones is here with her 15-year-old daughter for an abortion. And she said, I don't know what to do. And when I was working on the ERA, I got the question about Phyllis Schlafly, which is probably, there's too many people here that won't remember that. And we always said if Phyllis Schlafly showed up at a battered women's shelter, she should be treated like any other woman. So I told Diana that, so she did the abortion. And afterwards, she said to her, you're outside my clinic every Saturday protesting. And I said, Diana, it's a tribute to how much she thought you provided great medical care that she brought her daughter to you. So, so accept the compliment. And so when she asked her without a, the slightest bit of irony or self-awareness, um, she said, my daughter didn't, didn't, um, didn't mean to get pregnant, not like all those other girls. I mean, so that tells you everything right there, that, that when it's your circumstance and everything, it's okay. But to me, what's always got, and I, Megan, I don't know how you feel about this, but what has always gotten me is the judgment around, uh, around this issue, that, that people can cast so much judgment. And I, when, um, uh, I won't go in, I'll, I'll save time here, but it just, it just amazes me how someone, how so many people lack the ability to put themselves in someone else's shoes to understand this issue. Like, what, what, what is lacking in you that you can't understand that someone may be in different circumstances than you are and have the slightest bit of empathy for the situation they provide that they're in, regardless of the circumstances of their pregnancy? Yeah, there's also, like, this long... You know the good abortion and the bad yeah. abortion, yeah. right? The yeah. the fetal anomaly, um, the early the early gestation abortion, um, the young person versus the 32 year old who just doesn't want to be pregnant and doesn't want to have a child and has a stable career and has all these things. It's like we we situate them so differently, and that's why we're very clear where we say any restriction, no matter what, is wrong because every single person's circumstance is entire, un, entirely unique and entirely their own. Um, even that person with her sweet, sweet dogs needed her abortion. And I mean, there's also like, I feel like a, a totally, another stigmatized group here is people, like I feel like this is a real taboo in conversations about abortions, but people, like I feel like there's always this expectation that people have to prove just how terribly difficult their lives are in order for them to make this horrible choice. What we don't talk about is like, some people don't want to have a child with Down syndrome and don't want to maybe bring in a child to the world that has zero support services for people with disabilities, so they don't want to subject another human being to that if they know that this person is going to have these kinds of disabilities. Or they themselves don't want to have a life path in which they have a child with these kinds of disabilities. And that, like, I feel like even in the, like, I've talked to women who've been pregnant, you know, you, they go through the process of having the testing done to see if there's any chromosomal abnormalities. And the, 
Like, it is like people have a hard time getting it out of their mouth to even say, yes, I would have an abortion if I knew my child was going to have, you know, some kind of abnormality of that nature. Um, that, that is like, that, the, the way that the, the, the layers and layers of taboo here is just like mind-blowing. But I think you said it from the beginning. Like, I also talk to people who have wanted pregnancies, but they know that there are no resources for them in this country to care for a second child or a first child. You know, especially like young people who are like, I actually want to continue this pregnancy, but I would have to leave school because there's no supports in my school for pregnant people. Or I have to leave school because there's no on-site childcare for my child if I choose. We have no supports for anyone at any age to have children in this country. I mean, the Chicago public school system, trying to get your kid into a school that's near to you, that is safe, um, living in safe neighborhoods in this city. And that's why, you know, when we talk about Chicago and Illinois being again like butterflies and rainbows there are so many things that you need in place to decide whether to have a child and we don't have those supports here in the city particularly in disinvested communities and communities where resources have been stolen for decades so we don't have the resources not resources to care for children so many of the pro-abortion i mean anti-abortion like kind of like the, the people like the crisis cent pregnancy center people the people who are like I'm going to be on the front line of this fight by providing women with the resources they need so that they can have this child because they hear Here's so many one pack stories. of diapers. Have a yeah. nice day. Thank right. You. So I was going to ask you is like, how have you ever seen these? I mean, they talk about their work as if they're going to solve all of these problems or help them solve all these problems. Have you ever seen that actually? Like, how does that look in real life when they promise that they're going to make it so that this woman is financially able to have this child. I have seen crisis pregnancy centers lie to people about the gestational age of their pregnancy, lie to people about the sex of their fetus, uh, pray over 15-year-olds in rooms, separating them from their mothers who are trying to help them. I, I have never seen a crisis pregnancy center or a fake clinic, as we call them, actually helping. They are doing deep, deep harm to people um, with some diapers, yeah. which, you know, inflation, the diapers are very expensive, but that's it, what, like diapers. I, you know, I want to address what you brought up at first. What, what I try to do when people bring that up is make sure that they understand what pro-choice means, because pro-choice means if a woman decides to carry a pregnancy that has Down syndrome, that we make sure that the resources are there, that, that we as being pro-choice, we're the ones that believe that, like my, my personal motto is not every pregnancy need be planned, but every child deserves to be loved and cared for. And, and, that, and that's what I tell people. I mean, that, that's my motto. So whatever decision that a woman needs, she makes, she needs to have the support to make that, whether it's to terminate a pregnancy, whether it's to carry a pregnancy to term, we all need to be there for her. So that's how I address it with people rather than going around, you know, getting, you know, going into the, you know, the issues of how, how much of a disability is there and all that, but just saying it should be up to a woman and we're there to support her or a person who gets pregnant. Thank you. Uh, another question? Well, I what? wanted to raise this one point before we left and I get your reaction to it. Uh, we, on the podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the story out of uh, two states, Ohio and Indiana, 
uh, uh, where the, uh, a 10-year-old girl who lived, in, I guess, in the Columbus, Ohio area was raped. Uh, and since uh, by the time uh, her pregnancy was reported to uh, her doctor in Ohio, six weeks had passed uh, in which there are no abortions allowed in Ohio after six weeks. Uh, and so uh, arrangements were made to have the girl travel to Indiana and, and have the abortion uh, in Indiana, which is kind of bizarre that Indiana would be the more progressive state. Anything can happen in politics these days. Uh, yeah, it won't be tomorrow, correct. There's a law about to eradicate that little right. A very brave doctor, I give her a lot of credit, uh, in Indianapolis, and very two very brave reporters. I follow this very closely. And uh, Terry and Megan, uh, this gets to the heart of what you're up against. Because MAGA did not concede that there's something cruel and wrong about a 10-year-old having to get uh, carry this child to term, full term, after being raped. MAGA did not make that concession. MAGA will never concede they're wrong, ever. What did they do? They said, the reporter made up the story. The doctor can't believe. We can't find any evidence that any police anywhere uh, has ever had any report of a 10-year-old. The Washington Post fact checker weighs in and says, essentially, I can't confirm this story. What a whim. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this is what abortion rights people are up against. This is like abortion rights people always go, oh, if we get this extreme case, like a 10-year-old girl raped, then maybe some swing voter in suburban Virginia will vote blue on this issue. Do you follow what I'm saying? Even here, they wouldn't concede they wouldn't say there's a flaw with a law that won't let a 10 year old who's been raped get an abortion and I, I don't know what what to say Megan when I see somebody like this and T just leave us with some kind of hope you know that the resistance to what you think is the right thing is so intense it's so fierce it's so unrelenting and they're not going anywhere the other side gets tired after an election. You know what I'm saying? I want to watch this show. It's streaming. You know what I mean? <laughs> Democrats, man. So help me with this one. Do you feel this like a possibility that the abortion rights side will ever match the anti-abortion side in terms of fervor, discipline, focus, determination, all those things? I, I think what the doctor said after was really compelling, where she's like, you know, I'm a physician, I provide abortion care, but I don't talk about it because it's dangerous for me to talk about it because the other side kills people. They kill people. Like, they have killed people. They they find out where you live. They harass you. Um, I've had terrible things written about me by uh, Illinois, right, what is the fa family, right, family, yeah, Illinois Family Institute. Yeah, um, where they said things about me that kept me up for three day, three nights. Every night I would wake up like, oh God, that's out there. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't think we 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 are close to matching their their fervor. And I think part of it is because uh, it goes back to abortion stigma and not being able to talk about abortion. And, uh, and, and, and in some ways, 
we don't have basic biological understanding either. Like we're not really taught good sex ed in this country. And we did some, um, we called them empathy interviews where we were trying to understand our, how we need, how we need to message when we talk about abortion at CAF. Um, and I was talking to friends of mine and asking them questions. And I, I said to one of them, you know, well, how do you feel about abortions at 13 weeks, second trimester? This is a person, a woman, who has had two children. And she said, oh, well, that's around the time of viability, so I'm not okay with that. Let me be very clear, 13 weeks is nowhere near the time of viability. Um, so we just have, our side has a fundamental misunderstanding because of the messaging from the right that has, because they are loud and they are vocal and they seep into it. And you see it on the highway and you see it, you even see it represented so deeply in pop culture. Regular abortion experiences are not even shown in pop culture. We are, it's always this tragedy. It's never like, oh, it's my lunch hour, it's time for my abortion, I'm gonna run to FPA, which is what happens regularly. Abortion is regular, degular healthcare. Um, and then you have horrific cases like this, um, where I think it helps people who are maybe on the fence think like, oh, well, that person should have their abortion. And, and I think our job is to say any person who wants an abortion should have their abortion in a community that they feel safe in with a provider they trust. They should not have to pay. They should, like, this is the vision that we have for, you know, liberated abortion. How we get there, <laughs> I mean, I think we need to put all our cards on the table. And one of the first things is talking about abortion openly, honestly, and, and just being really clear in our communities where our values stand and really tying it explicitly to gender, um, racial, and economic justice because it really ties into all of those things and it's really important we name it as such. I, um, I, what has been most frustrating in my work over 33 years is convincing people how venal and, and evil and, um, and uncompromising the anti-choice movement is. And so this 10-year-old situation that you're talking about, Ben, really has woken up some people. Um, I, it, it has gotten people to focus. This is what they're about. So um, they're, I'm not saying it's a good thing, don't get me wrong, but, but we need to wake up. And it's the same, you know, it's the same thing about I, I've talked to, P I'm very close with the head of gun violence prevention PAC, Kathleen Sansis. And we talk all the time about people say, I don't understand 88% of people oppose automatic assault rifles being legal. Why are they? And my response, just like it is for this, because I'm in my lane, is we haven't banned automatic assault rifles because we don't have elected officials who will vote to ban automatic assault rifles. So in the same manner, whether you're talking about climate justice, whether you're talking about racial justice, whether you're talking about LGBTQ rights, we, we have the, we, we have ceded the power to the right wing at this particular point in history, and I want to say that we, we've done that, and what we really need to do is take back our power on all levels. What Megan is talking about, what we're doing politically, what what providers are doing, what, uh, you know, what everyone is doing. So I don't think there is, a, I'm not, I don't think there's a singular solution. We, we have a public relations problem. We have a political problem. We have a motivational problem. We, so we need to address all of those in an integrated but, but also separate way. That's why I try to stay in my lane politically and I don't even like to get into some of the conversations because my job, 
my job is to elect pro-choice candidates and hold them accountable. That's it. I'm not, I'm not moving into the lane. I don't tell people how to perform abortions. I don't tell Megan how to do her job. So, that, so I see that. I have blinders on. So I think it's important uh, for people to understand. But back to your original thing, I, there, it, I think Americans writ large, men and women, are starting to wake up as to the cruelty of the anti-abortion movement. And, you know, for a long time, and they love this this picture of, you know, um, older women standing out giving pamphlets saying, oh dear, uh, you shouldn't get an abortion, you could think about it, when behind all of that yeah. has been a lot of white, wealthy men. In fact, um, some of the stuff that's come out from the January 6th insurrection is a lot of those men that stormed the Capitol have been out in front of abortion clinics attacking, harassing patients going in uh, to get abortions. It's the same in the, you know, the, whole, um, the, the whole slavery act about bounties. Um, there's, been, there's been a lot of writing about all that, so I think we have to take a long look at all of that and, and realize that, that we're you know, that we're up against, uh, and we can do it. You know, the, the final thing is, it is political malpractice if we don't win these two Supreme Court seats. So, so before you best. get into that, I'm going to give you a chance to give the spiel. I just want to acknowledge, so we're, we're, we're wrapping up here. You guys are all probably nice and depressed now no, and fe- feeling dis- discouraged about our situation in this supposed abortion safe haven of Illinois. Uh, can you both just leave folks with a couple of words about what they can do to get activated with your work? What, you know, what, what kind of, if they, if they feel like directing their energy to making things better, what can they do to help each of your efforts and organizations? So I, I talked a lot about talking about abortion and saying the word abortion. So on our website, chicagoabortionfund.org, we have a toolkit called Say Abortion. It talks about um, how to have these conversations in your community, um, things to say, things not to say, minefields. I think when we talk about abortion, particularly in pro-choice communities, we can be unintentionally stigmatizing, and we really need to be um, very, do some understanding, Get to have some, like, political consciousness raising in your community, have a dinner party, have people over talk about um, abortion. We also have a reproductive justice rapid response list you can sign on to f- to get activated um, around this issue. Um, I also think it's really important to educate yourself around self-managed abortion, abortion with pills, be a resource in your community. Not telehealth, which we talked about a little bit earlier, but self-managed abortion with pills where we have learned from our um, folks primarily like in Latin America and in Brazil, um, where they have figured out how to have abortions using um, medication you can access fairly easily. So learning about that, if you know Illinois does go dark, we do need to have people um, able to spread that information. You can also host a house party for the Chicago Abortion Fund. I'll tell you, pre-row, our weekly direct service budget was... Um, or pre the leak, it was 16000 a week. After the leak, it went up to 25000 Right now, our direct service budget is between forty dollars and $45,000 a week. That is how much we are spending on abortion care, on wraparound supports. Um, today, we supported someone traveling here from Wisconsin who brought her children, and we provided on-site, in-person child care. Um, so those are that, that's the kind of work that we do. It does cost a lot of money. The costs are rising 
flights are very expensive, hotels are very expensive, it's summer in Chicago, everybody is here, not just people who want to have abortions in Chicago, um, food, things like that, all of those costs add up and it, it is really hard. Um, we want to provide every single thing our callers need. We have no means testing, no eligibility requirements. We don't ask you your story. Sometimes people get on the phone with us and they want to say, this is what happened to me because they've had to explain it so many times to access the resources that they, they want, deserve, and need. We don't ask anything. I'm like, hold up, you don't have to tell me anything. What do you need? Um, and that costs a lot of money to have that kind of model. And so we have a house party guide on our website where you can have people over virtually or in person. You can raise some money. We can help you out with that. All of that information is on our website. But I think most importantly beyond money is have these conversations, talk about abortion and abortion access. And they can just give you guys money too. You can super duper give us money. Okay. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I haven't given to the Chicago Abortion Fund in a while, and I just realized, so I am going home tonight, and I'm going to make a donation, so, so, we, can all do, so, so we can all do that. Um, that. What I want to say is we have 98 days. In the next 98 days, I don't care where you are, at work, at a party, out at a bar, no matter where you are, talk about the election, talk about this issue. We, we need everyone talking, talking about this. So few people even know that there's a race for the Illinois Supreme Court, and that's going to be our biggest battle. It's down the ballot, so people need to look for it. So that would be number one. Number two is... How do people get plugged in? Because these Supreme Court, this is not right. going to be on your ballot in Cook County. This is right. the second and so third I'm district. How do people very, get plugged in? Some very practical information. Take the Jane's Army thing. Go sign up for Jane's Army. Um, is Jane's Army 2022. I, I forget what the address is. It's on there. Go online, sign up there. We will tell you about volunteer um, opportunities. We're doing canvassing, texting, phone banking for pro choice candidates around these two Supreme Court races. So you can do that. The other thing you can do is if you know of anyone that, like, if you know someone that lives in Lake County or you know someone that lives in Aurora, which is in the, the district, make a list of all the people that you know around Illinois and make sure you call them and email them and tell them that these races are going on. Have a conversation with them. Um, make sure they're registered to vote. If you have children that are away at um, either New York, they don't need your vote in, they don't need your vote in uh, probably Missouri because nothing's going to win there. Have them registered to vote here in Illinois, especially if it's in one of these districts. So that's what I would ask. Everyone can be an activist. Jan Joukowsky said recently in an event, and I'm going to quote her and Jane Fonda, Jan Joukowsky said, turn off MSNBC and CNN, pick up a clipboard and go out and work. And that's what you can do. Even if you... You live in an area, walk around your block and knock on doors and say, are you as concerned about abortion rights as I am? Have conversations with everyone you know. And then what Jane Fonda said is the best form of therapy is activism. So if you're depressed, if you're down, if whatever, do, you will feel great. Do something. You know, even, if, yeah, so that's my, and I want to go back to my. 18 and 25 year old and the white suburban women. We just have to move a tiny bit of this. this is, we're, we're not moving a boulder up a mountain. We are really, we have a narrow group of people to communicate with to win these elections, get them all out to vote and we'll be fine. But we gotta do the hard work, we gotta raise the money, we gotta elect the candidates, we have to donate to CAP. Thank you so much. Um, let's have a round of applause for our guests. And...
Thank you guys so much for coming out. Thank you to The Hideout, as always, for hosting. You can find us, uh, if you don't already follow us on Facebook, we're at First Tuesdays with Maya and Ben. On Instagram, we're at First underscore Tuesdays. Please give us a follow. That's what we'll post the audio to the show um, in the next week, and uh, that's where we'll post announcements about the next shows. We won't have a September show, but... I'm out of town. Oh. Uh, but, but, uh, but in October, we'll be back. Uh, so stay tuned about information about our next program. And thank you all so much for coming out. Please read and support the Chicago Reader, where Ben works. Yep. And in Justice Watch, where I work, we make the only independent, non-endorsing, non non-profit-produced judicial voting guide. And though the it's only for Cook County, so it won't have anything about the Supreme Court seats in November, but we'll have everything you need to know about all the judges on your ballot in November, and we'll have news coverage related to the Supreme Court seats. I was going to say, can you tell people? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll have, we'll have our, our reporting coverage of, of, of those races as well. So thank you all so much for coming out. Thank you.